Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. My name is Zach Kroll. I am your host, and this is the College Basketball Podcast, where we will be talking all things CBB from now until the end of the season. The road will end there in the final four in Atlanta, and I was actually at the Jimmy V Classic last night, doubleheader, Texas and Illinois, Duke and Iowa, and I have some takeaways I wanted to share with you guys from each of those two games uh, here on today's show. Besides that, over the course of the last few days, there hasn't been a ton in college basketball. I wanted to give a shout-out to the Wisconsin Badgers, who had another nice win over Maryland in the Big Ten last night. The Badgers, they won two huge games this week with that one over Maryland, and then earlier uh, this weekend against Marquette, uh, they went into the Pfizer form and won. So Greg Gard, he continues to coach his tail off, doing a really good job with Wisconsin. But I wanted to talk about a few other teams in the Big Ten. Illinois, what a win for them beating Texas last night. We also had Iowa. They fell to Duke. But I'm not going to be doing it alone as our guy, Aaron Torres, the host of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, the founder of Aaron Torres Media. He will be joining me to talk all things Jimmy V Classic next Welcome into the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. I'm your host, Zach Kroll, and it has been a week now since our guy, the founder of Aaron Torres Media, the host of the Aaron Torres Podcast, Aaron Torres. It's been a little bit since he's joined us, but I wanted to have him back just to talk a little bit of college basketball. Last night, I was actually there at Madison Square Garden at the Jimmy V Classic watching number 17 ranked Illinois beat number two Texas, Duke. They also had a blowout victory over Iowa. And these are four teams that most likely are going to be playing in the NCAA tournament. It was great to be there. It was actually my first game of the season. And we are going to break it all down with you guys right here, right now. So, AT, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, what were your initial thoughts watching uh, the doubleheader of the Jimmy V Classic last night? You know, I thought, honestly, I, I hate to say it, I my big picture takeaway was probably that there were no big picture takeaways. I mean, I guess... You could argue maybe the takeaway is that Iowa is very limited if Chris Murray does isn't cooking, you know. But, you know, Texas, Illinois, I think we both thought they were really good teams. Texas had not played a marquee game away from home. Illinois was much more battle tested, having played at Maryland last week. Maryland, obviously, a really good surprise, you know, probably the biggest surprise to me in college basketball right now. Uh, but, you know, Illinois had played those two games in Vegas against what was it? What was it, Zach? Was it Baylor and UCLA, I believe, if I remember correct? And they played at Maryland last weekend. And so we knew a little bit more about them. 
but because Texas lost, I don't think that means that they're overrated or anything like that. I don't think because Illinois won, they're a national championship contender. And then in the second game, you know, Duke, I think we all like their talent. As I've said on my show many times, there's a lot of injury things early with them where Derek Whitehead missed some time. Uh, Derek Lively missed the early part of the season. And so to see them start to round into form, I think was good. But, you know, there wasn't one, you know, I wasn't sold on this team. And now I think they're a contender or anything like that. I just thought it was two enter, uh, two pretty entertaining games on, on Tuesday night that you got to be at. We appreciate you being there. Um, and just, just some good basketball, but I, I didn't get the sense that there was some like amazing takeaway about any of the four teams specifically. Yeah. It's so interesting when you go to these double headers, right? You could have a great game to start off. And then the second game is a little boring and like, I'm not going to lie, man, all my thoughts last night after leaving Madison square garden, I couldn't stop thinking about Illinois and that game against Texas because the Longhorns, they're controlling things. They're up for the majority of the game. They've had two really impressive victories at home, as you said, against Gonzaga, against Creighton. And I was really curious to see how exactly this Texas team would look on a neutral court in a big test because I think that's the other thing. Like We've seen a lot of these teams play at the PK-85, the Maui Invitational, the Battle for Atlantis uh, settings where they're pretty similar to the the ones you're going to see in the NCAA tournament. And for this Texas team, they haven't handled that yet. And they control the game for the majority of the most part. But I was impressed by Illinois' fight. They don't quit. You know I was very high on this Illini team going into the season. And even though last night wasn't their best game played, they still found a way to win when Taryn Shannon really struggled for the majority of the game. They had some big clutch play made uh, by freshman Jaden Epps. And the, in Brad Underwood's post-game press conference, the one takeaway I had from him is not only does he really believes, believe in this team, but part of the main reason why is just because there may not be one star player. They have so many guys that could deliver for them each and every night. And it's not like they're bad players like Coleman Hawkins, Matthew Meyer, Taryn Shannon, RJ Melendez. Like he just has so many different options. And this Illinois team is so versatile. I was really impressed with the Illini's uh, fight and toughness showed last night. I actually want to flip it and ask you that because I saw some of his post-game comments on your social media feed uh, at Zach Kroll underscore and then some of the other guys that were covering the game. It was that, you know, in, in hearing the four coaches speak after the game, was that your big takeaway? Because it seemed as though the guys that and guys and girls that were covering the game that Brad Underwood was like really proud of of his team for not folding late. Like, does that because, you know, for people who didn't get a chance to really watch the game closely, Texas was in control um, and, and Illinois had to make a lot of plays late to get back into the game to force overtime. And then they kind of controlled things in overtime. I think Texas, more than anything, was a little bit shell shocked. But, um, I you know, from following you and, and following some of the other guys and girls that were there, that seemed to me, I, I was like surprised. I like, it seemed like Brad Underwood was like very, very, very happy with how his guys, not just that they won, but that they fought to do it. Is that like a fair assessment as somebody who wasn't able to be at the game like myself? Absolutely. And he even mentioned uh, in one of Illinois's Illinois losses earlier this season uh, in Vegas against Virginia, that was a close game late down the stretch and they just didn't really know what to do or who to go to. And I think what's, what was impressive about last night is it wasn't easy. Like they were trailing for the majority of the game against a really good team. That's really hard to score on Taryn Shannon. Who's been their best player has really been struggling all night. Keep in mind also, like I'm a huge Brad Underwood fan. I think he's a really good coach. And I know this wasn't an NCAA tournament game. It was played in December, but 
just the magnitude of it, considering they were playing on a neutral floor at MSG against Texas. Like, I think it was really refreshing for him to see, okay, this team might be different than uh, some of the other Illinois teams in the past because Brad Underwood has done a great job uh, since he got to Champaign in Illinois, since he's been coaching college basketball, going back to his days at Stephen F. Austin. He's been just winning games on a consistent basis. But I think it was important to see an Illinois team last night playing a big-time game with uh, tough, difficult circumstances and still find a way to win, especially uh, when you consider the opponent as well. So I agree. I, I definitely got that vibe from Brad Underwood and how proud he was of his team. Well, and I think that's something that we all like as even people like myself and you that love college basketball. I think it's something like we all take for granted is that because the name on the front of the jersey is familiar, that a coach is like totally confident in the guys that he's going to war with. Right. Like not everybody's Virginia that has five starters back from last year. Not everybody's even Kentucky that's got, you know, four or five marquee guys from last year. I mean, Illinois has one or two, you know, Coleman Hawkins and RJ Melendez, and maybe there's one or two other guys, but then it's new guys who have performed in college, but not necessarily at Illinois. And then, you know, and forget the freshmen, you know, guys that have performed in college, but not at Illinois or a guy like Coleman Hawkins, who, you know, for people who don't know the Illinois roster, well, was really a, a role player. Like he was benched in the middle of last year. And now he's basically the star of the team. So I think that's a pretty fair assessment of them is that in like, you know, when I say assessment, I mean like just watching what coach Underwood had to say after the game of the idea being like, basically that, you know, he was proud of the guys because again, I think we think of Illinois because they've been to two straight NCAA tournaments. They won the big 10 title in the regular season last year in the conference tournament the year before, but this specific group of guys hasn't necessarily accomplished what those other guys have not to say that they can't just that they haven't yet. And I do think that's something that like, we as college basketball fans kind of forget is that it's just, it's a new group at most places every year. And, you know, it just, it it takes time to kind of find out who your guys are, how they perform under pressure, all kind of things like that. Yeah. And in that game against Texas, I think Underwood learned a lot, just considering in the first half, it was the Baylor transfer, Dane Daniel, giving them consistent uh, scoring in the post. Matthew Meyer hit a couple really big shots as well. Uh, A question I have for you about Texas though, right? I know going yeah, I know going into the season, like we had our concerns about this Texas team just from what we saw last year. Like both of us were really high on them, and it was probably a year too early. I think this team is much different. They're definitely better, and you could see Chris Beard and his fingerprints all over this team. But I think what really cost Texas in this game is Tyrese Hunter, the Iowa State transfer, Big 12 freshman of the year. He played really well in the first half but then uh, was struggling a little bit with cramps, didn't score in the second half at all. And that's really when Texas had to give way to Marcus Carr. And we saw the Marcus Carr that played at Minnesota last night, opposed to the guy that started off this season really well. They also add Dylan Mitchell. Uh, Dylan Disu is back healthy in the lineup. So there are a lot of big-name, talented players with this Texas team. Where do you stand on them right now? Do you think they're a legitimate top-five national championship contender? Do you think they're a tier below that? Uh, what is your take on Texas right now? Because I think they are a legit top 10 team. But last night, I kind of saw a little bit of our concerns and what they were in the preseason in, in that game. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you the same question as we move on is, you know, I, I think a couple things stand out is, you know, one, I don't think because they hadn't played a, a game really away from home. I think they played a few neutral site games in Texas. Like, 
I don't think that I'm that worried about them. Um, but listen, you know, a couple things. One, you destroyed Gonzaga. Okay. Well, Gonzaga has three losses now. You know, they, they, what was it? Was it North Florida that they barely survived at home against? You know, like, like, you know, so that win, I don't want to like discredit it, but like, I think we have to reevaluate that. The Creighton thing, we'll see about Creighton. They just took a weird loss to Nebraska a few days ago. They got a couple big games coming up this week, uh, one of which I'm going to be at against Arizona State. So, you know, one, it's possible that the teams they haven't played, played, um, you know, are, are as good, you know, a couple of things stood out to me and I actually want your opinion on them is one. I agree a thousand percent that Marcus Carr, I think one of their biggest problems last year was that he tried to do everything. He tried to be the lead ball handler, the lead playmaker, the lead scorer, take over games, prove that he's a three point shooter, prove that he's an NBA player, whatever. And if you've even just like watched the games, let alone, you know, covered them or bend at them or whatever, you hear the people that are around the team, Jay Billis last night, Fran Frischilla and some of the other games say, you know, that that he and Tyrese Hunter have played really well together uh, and it's taken a lot of the burden off of Marcus Carr. Well, to your point, last night I, I saw the Marcus Carr that I think caused a lot of problems for Texas last year, finished 3 of 14 from, from the field last night. The other thing, and, and I, I started to kind of notice this in the Creighton game, and, and I could be totally wrong, and I could be, like, proven wrong on this, but, you know, Tyrese Hunter, the kid who transferred from, from Iowa State, I would argue he was probably the best transfer that was available. Um, You know, last year had a really, really, really good year, uh, averaged 15 points a game, you know, shot about 37%, or excuse me, uh, he averaged about 11 points per game, shot 27% from three. This year he's at, he's shooting 36% from three. Um, but, but tell me what you think, because I, I could be completely wrong, but the Gonzaga game was kind of his coming out party. He, he, you know, makes nine field goals, five of them from three. But even in the Creighton game, I felt like when he's not hitting a ton from three, I remember him last year being like more aggressive and more able to kind of create his own offense. I feel like he's kind of like a catch and shoot guy at Texas. And I don't want to like nerd out on philosophy and whatever, but like, I do think if he isn't creating not only for himself, but for others, like it changes the trajectory of this team. Cause I do think he's probably their best player. Uh, and I think he's their best natural score. And so like, to me, I've just noticed the last couple games, it feels like he's kind of turned into, if I'm not hitting threes, I'm not really doing as much. And, and I don't know if that's fair, if it was just a great defensive game plan from Illinois, but I, I noticed that the last couple games where I feel like he's already kind of evolving into just this guy who hits threes rather than like this, uh, um, d- dynamic multi-level score. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I totally see what you're saying. And I think what's interesting is the big critique on Tyree Connor or Tyree Hunter in terms of his pro aspirations were the three point shot. Does he shoot it well enough to go to the NBA? And the thing I noticed, like last year, he wasn't a bad shooter. Like he showed he was capable. If you remember, Iowa State, their first tournament LSU, game against yeah. LSU or against LSU, he hit the game icing three in the final seconds to win that game for Iowa State. And then we all see the Gonzaga game. He's hitting shot after shot after shot. So I think you might be onto something. I'm thinking that maybe he knows he could hit some threes and that's why he might be forcing things a little bit. And I like he, this, him and this Texas team are much better when he's moving the ball uh, and he's sharing the basketball. And I think that's what his real strength is. He's a, a, a great passer, a very good point guard. And there are plenty of weapons on the outside with this Texas team on the wing. I'm a big fan also of Serge Jabari Rice. He, he had a couple sh- nice shots last night. 
I think he's a winning player. But yep. my other concern for this Texas team that I didn't address yet is that lack of a true rim protector, which is interesting because they have some guys, uh, Dylan Disu, who looks healthy, the former Vanderbilt transfer, Christian Bishop, he's in the mix as well. And Disu could block a shot uh, here and there. But with the Chris Beard, and we know he likes to have an elite defense, that would be my other concern with this Texas team. Did they have someone, a true five, that could just block shots at the rim and really elevate this defense? I think it's fair. I think it's fair. I think the other thing to me that is a little bit concerning is I, I one, I think the, the rim protectors is a fair assessment. The other thing is they're not a great three point shooting team. And this was their problem last year. It's like they had nobody. Now this year, Tyrese Hunter's hitting 37%, but again, they, Illinois took him a little bit out of the game last night. And then, uh, Jabari Rice, as you said, I guess he goes by Sir Jabari and Jabari. Jay Billis was saying this during the broadcast last night, so I don't know exactly what to call him. But he's listed as Sir Jabari, but he goes by Jabari. Anyway, neither here nor there. Like, those are the two guys. And, you know, listen, I I don't want to, like, do this thing where, like, I think there are certain people out there that feel like in modern basketball, like, if all five guys can't shoot threes and you're screwed, I don't know that I believe that. Um, But what I do believe is that this was a problem last year. And that this year, you know, to their credit, it was improved. But again, I just, if Tyrese Hunter isn't hitting five of eight from three, do you really have those guys that can stretch the floor? You look at last night, they finished seven of 22, but Tyrese Hunter hit two of those three. So everybody else finishes what? Five of five of 15, five of 16, something like that. So yeah, they finished five of 16 outside of Tyrese Hunter. So you look at the percentage, they shot 32%. That's not terrible, but you take out Tyrese Hunter. That's five of 16. That's less than 33. You know, I just worry a little bit about the spacing. I worry a little bit about what happens when Tyrese Hunter isn't taking over games. And I do worry to your point about the rim protection on defense as well. Yeah, so moving on to the next game in the Jimmy V uh, doubleheader. Do you, unless you had any other thoughts on uh, either Illinois or Texas, are we good? No, not really, to be honest. I, I I will say the one thing that is impressive to me about Texas, we talked, you know, some negative stuff. They they do defend like a Chris Beard team. And I think last year they were sort of bought in on that, but I don't know that they were like fully locked in. But obviously we saw the Gonzaga game where they were just getting after it uh, and very much the same last night for most of the game. Now they didn't close well, especially on the offensive end of the court. But that is one thing is I think that defense is legit. And I think th- those guys are bought in. Uh, you know, last year it's a bunch of new guys. It's transfers. NIL is a thing for the first time. And I do think it's something I think we talked about on this show previously, Zach, is like when all those guys made the commitment to come back, when they all had some sort of other opportunity, whether it was a, a pro route for Marcus Carr and, and Timmy Allen, other guys could have transferred. Like when all those guys did come back, my guess is that it came with the stipulation of like, okay, we're all in on this is who we are and this is how we play. So I do like the defensive effort that I've seen from them on a positive. Don't want it to be all negative. They were number two in the country coming into last night. Uh, but I do think Illinois showed a little bit of a blueprint of some of the things that they might struggle with this year. Definitely. And it's night and day with this Texas team compared to last year. They come ready to play each and every game. There's legit talent here. And it really is starting to look like what we envisioned when Chris Beard shockingly decided to come to Texas. And uh, it's a big time program that really uh, they should they should be better over the course of the last few years. And hopefully uh, Chris Beard is the guy to really put them over the top. But the second game of the Jimmy V Classic was played uh, between Duke and Iowa. And it was a really impressive performance 
by the number 15 ranked Blue Devils. They beat unranked Iowa 74 to 62. And AT, I'll start off by saying this. It was really refreshing to see this Duke team. And keep in mind, like Iowa, they're not ranked, but they're really good. One of the better teams in the Big Ten. And really, once that game started, it was clear that Duke was the better team. They controlled things really from start to finish. And we know what the deal is with Duke. They're super young. You factor in some injuries as well. Everyone is was active last night. They're coming back healthy. And by the time we get to the end of the season, there's a chance this Duke team could be really good. But I think they're, they even showed some signs last night that that upgrade and that improvement, it might not even be coming too far because that was a really impressive showing uh, with their freshmen getting the job done. And I think that would be the key for me. Like the sooner they could get Derek Whitehead, who played pretty well last night, the sooner they could get Derek Lively and Filipowski's look good, Proctor, like all these guys. As soon as they're ready to play, as soon as they could be consistent, that's when this Duke team is really take is they're really going to take off. And I think we saw some signs of that last night in the, in the Jimmy V class. Yeah, I forget if I talked about it with you last time I was on, or maybe it was the time before. Maybe I just talked about it on my own podcast. But it's funny because you know, like my whole re- like like you know, you see certain things, you see a win loss record, and I think there's this expectation from fans of like, well, if this team has a certain number of losses you have to think there are problems and issues in that team stinks. And I think in some cases that's the case. Like I think North Carolina right now has real freaking problems that e- either need to be fixed or the the season is going to go off the rails if it hasn't already. I've never been uh, on the flip side. I've never been somebody over the last month since the season started that has been all that worried about Duke. And it's funny because I've never been called a Duke Homer in my life before, but I've refused to criticize them. We talked about it uh, in the first kind of first minute or so of the show of they dealt with injuries early. Dariq Whitehead is probably their best long-term upside guy. Um, and and I, I, you know, he didn't play at all early. He didn't play at all in that champions classic game against Kansas. He's coming back from a foot injury, which is obviously a serious thing. Um, he looks a little bit out of shape to me, which is not a criticism. It's understandable. He probably couldn't do a lot of cardio after you have foot surgery. And so I just bring it up because I- I've kept saying, like, I think people want me to be worried about Duke or crush John Shire or he's not good enough. They're not good enough. They're not that good. Well, Gonzaga struggling and North Carolina struggling. So we have to throw Duke in that category. And I never have. And so, um, and by the way, I could be proven wrong. You know, ACC plays about to start. You know, maybe they, they they start whatever one in four in ACC play, and I look like an idiot in two weeks. But when I've been evaluating Duke and when I've been watching Duke, a couple things stand out. I mean, you know, you go back to the Kansas game, night one of the Champions Classic, or not night one, but you know, week one, and they were in control of that game with about four minutes to go. And Kansas has a bunch of vets that have played in big games and took it over late and won. Uh, the Purdue game, I think we might have talked about this on the last episode, but they lose that game. But in that game, um, you know, if you watch the game, Purdue had a really good run in about the middle of the first half. They get up a, a, a pretty substantial margin. And then the rest of the game, Duke keeps kind of battling back, battling back. It, it goes from a 12-point lead to four, a, a four-point lead to eight. And and they could just never make that one to two plays that put them in position to actually scare Purdue. And so it's a credit to Purdue. I'm not saying Purdue, you know, discrediting them. But I just bring it up because when I look at Duke, I, I saw a team that went up against a veteran Purdue team um, and, and was right there was a play was a stop from being in the game with four, five, three, two minutes to go. And so I think 
Tuesday night against Iowa was the first game where they really kind of sort of put it all together uh, in a big game when it matters. And maybe you could say they did it against Xavier in the the PK 85, the final game that they played there. But yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny. Like, like I said, uh, you know, I think people, uh, and it wasn't the final game, but you get the point is like, I think people just like want me to lump North Carolina and uh, Duke in with North Carolina and Gonzaga and some of the more disappointing teams. And I just don't see the same reasons for concern. And so obviously that's a long winded way of me saying, I thought it was a positive, uh, what we saw there on, uh, on, on Tuesday night against Iowa. They almost remind me a little bit of a John Calipari Kentucky team that's just full sure. of some of the best freshmen in the class, and they come in. It's going to take them some time. They struggle a little bit right away, and all of a sudden they, they start playing much better. And in that Kansas game, they were right in it. Uh, Kansas made a little bit more plays late. And I think the key with a team like this, with full of young players, it's going to take you some time to figure things out, but you want to see improvement as we go on. And I think I was a really good team. They looked really impressive against Seton Hall. They went into their building and really laid the wood on them in uh, the Big Ten Big East Challenge over there. And this Duke team, like, they're playing in a pretty weak ACC, too. Virginia's really good, but North Carolina... I thought it was better like a month ago, but it, yeah. it, it doesn't appear to be. I didn't mean to cut you off, but... Yeah, I mean, like we, like, we didn't think it could get any worse than last year, and then all of a sudden, here we are, and the league is just not playing very well right now still some time to make it up but this is a duke team also like they've played in in some big games in the pk 85 last night at the jimmy v classic against iowa and i'll I'll say this about duke too i've actually been really impressed with john shire and the job that Mm -hmm. he's done so far with this team and i know coach k was still there last year but there have been some rumblings that john shire he did a lot with that team not only bringing in a lot of the players as the main recruiter, but also from a coaching aspect. And I just think like the stuff they run, it looks a little quicker. Like it it looks really impressive. And I think by the time the season's end, this Duke team might be really good. And the other main takeaway I had is I think the key to this Duke team is Jeremy Roach, right? Like when he's playing at his best, they could beat anyone, but when he's not playing well, they could lose to anyone. And He'll have, like, I don't want to say he's Caleb Love where he just takes so many shots and and he has to be, like, a little bit inefficient at times if he wants to to score. But I do think it's good that Duke has another option in Tyrese Proctor to kind of take the ball out of Roach's hands for a little bit and just have two main primary ball handlers. Because in March, we've seen it many times in years past. Like, those are the kind of teams usually that have success, guys with uh, teams with multiple guys that can handle the ball. And I know Proctor is a younger player. He didn't get to Duke campus until a little late this summer. But again, there are just so many young, talented players here. And there are some veterans too, like Grandison and Ryan Young. But I think the key with Duke is like, as the season goes on, the lesser of a role those guys have, and the more you're asking from uh, with those freshmen, like that's what's going to make this Duke team really good. And that's what's going to put them over the top. And it's clear, like John Shire doesn't trust all those freshmen just yet. But I think once he does, this Duke could this Duke team could be really scary. Well, it's fun. that's another point to the previous one that I made. You know, in that Purdue game, Jeremy Roach went out with a fo- ankle injury, maybe, and he he left and he came back and he re injured it. But you could tell he wasn't a hundred percent. So you know, 
again, you're playing what is now what the number two, three team in the country in Purdue. Uh, your only veteran, your only, re- or not oh, your only veteran, but your only returning player, your starting point guard is out. So that's just another variable that says like, we should be excited about this team. And then to your point, um, I also think that the, you know, the part about guys getting better as the season goes on. I think, you know, you don't want to assume everybody's going to make a leap, but these are really talented players playing at a new level. And as you said, Tyrese Proctor didn't get to campus, I believe, until August. Dariq Whitehead, again, coming off surgery, was out for six, eight weeks, whatever it was. Derek Lively missed time. So really, by the way, the only freshman that's really been basically available the whole offseason, I guess, would be Filipowski and Mark Mitchell. And I think you could argue they've probably been the two most consistent of the freshmen, certainly Filipowski as well. So, like, these are important things to think about. And like I said, you know, I think we live in this world where, you know, we're such a results-oriented world. And, yes, that's why these guys get paid millions of dollars is to win, you know, basically win every time they take the floor or take the field in basketball or, or, or football or whatever. But, like, there's context that has to go behind it, and I think there is some context with uh, with Duke in terms of, um, you know, with some of the stuff that's that's gone on that has led them to, you know, they still only have two losses, but, you know, it's Duke, and so people want to talk about it. Yeah, one quick thought on Iowa uh, to close out, the Jimmy V Classic. I think the Hawkeyes are really good. I've actually gained a lot of respect for Fran McCaffrey as a head coach, especially, like, recently, this the past few years. I think he did a really good job with Iowa last year, but we saw – uh, if you shut down Chris Murray, this Iowa team, they could be pretty vulnerable. They could lose to anyone. So the Big Ten as a league has been really impressive. We saw two of their better teams in action last night with Illinois, with Iowa. So my main question for you with Iowa is what do you think this team's ceiling is? Where do they go from here? How do they compare to some of the other teams in the Big Ten? Because Chris Murray is a star. He's one of the better players in the league. They have some they have some bodies up front with uh, Rebracha. I, I, I like the way he plays. Peyton Sanford is another kid with size. He's going to have to start shooting the ball at least a little bit better. But I was just a tough, hard-nosed team. It obviously wasn't a great performance for them last night. But uh, did you have any thoughts on Iowa coming out of the Jimmy V class? I just think the bigger picture of what you said is like they, you know, I, I've just been impressed with Fran McCaffrey. I, I, you know, I don't know if I had honestly any like super strong opinions about him before the last couple years. Um, but you know, I think really for me, it started last year where you have Luca Garza, who's this focal point for two straight years, uh, national player of the year, you lose them and you get better. I mean, they, they didn't miss a beat last year. They obviously ended up with that five seed in the NCAA tournament, won the big 10 tournament last year. Um, and then this year you lose a, a lottery pick in Keegan Murray and you have that next wave of guys ready. And so, I don't think there's any like amazing takeaway other than, and they did talk, I know you were in the arena, so you you might not have heard this, but like Billis and and Dan Schulman talked quite a bit about, you know, the the blueprint and the game plan. And actually John John Shire said it, I think during the, the, at least the halftime availability, I don't know about what he said post game, but like that was the whole game plan was to take away Chris Murray and they took away Chris Murray. I know it's obviously easier said than done, but he had probably the worst game of his season. And all of a sudden you look up and this team, it was never really competitive. And so, you know, I think the the key would probably be, I assume is to find that next guy, find somebody else. If there is somebody on the roster that can contribute a little bit more offensively, because it does feel like, um, you know, a couple of their games now, you know, they lose to TCU, they lose to Duke, they, they get by Clemson. Um, it does feel like, uh, you know, it's a situation where if they don't find that second guy, it could be, uh, it could be, uh, 
tough season's not like like not the right word, but you know maybe they they, they fall back a little bit. Yeah, one big picture thought I had on Iowa and really just the rest of their league. I've been really impressed by the play of the Big Ten to start off. I agree. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy because we've probably been the two bi- biggest Big Ten haters over sure. the course of the last few years. And it's justified, by the way. Like, the Big Ten was really good in the last two regular seasons, but it's resulted in disappointing tournament loss after disappointing tournament loss. And it's crazy because as a league, going into this season, they just lost so much talent from Kofi Coburn at Illinois to Keegan Murray at Iowa. Um, Wisconsin loses Johnny Davis. Like, there were just so much talent lost. And this league, it it almost seems like they've gotten better. Like, the teams at the bottom right now, uh, besides, like, the basement dwellers, like Michigan's towards the bottom. Michigan State has not been playing well recently. Like, the Big Ten as a league is really impressive. And, like, honestly, I'm just as impressed with the Big Ten as a league as disappointed as I am with the ACC. Like, those two levels of feelings are pretty even to me. So uh, I know, you know, we haven't been the biggest Big Ten fans of recent years, but I have to say I'm really impressed by their start as a league. Yeah, I don't want to be cliche, but like what I do think the Big Ten does well, like they know who they are. They know who they are as programs and they recruit to that, right? Like a kid that is going to thrive at Purdue isn't even going to be recruited by Duke or North Carolina or Kentucky or whomever, Um uh, you know, but and it, by the way, it may take three years, but you don't recruit that kid unless you know that he's willing to kind of wait his turn. Um, and I think Iowa does that really well. I think Wisconsin does that really well. I'm very curious to see what Kevin Willard does at Maryland. I think Illinois is kind of that hybrid team where I think Brad Underwood's not afraid to take the high level guys, even if he knows he's going to lose them. But just in general, and by the way, Chris Holtman's another one, right? Like I think he recruits guys that he knows are going to fit for him for the Big Ten. So. I'm with you. I, I've been actually genuinely surprised, been a little bit disappointed in, in Michigan, to be honest. But, you know, I think Maryland, as I said a minute ago, is one of the great stories in, in college hoops right now. Iowa, I think, is ahead of where I thought they would be. Ohio State certainly is. I'll give shout out. I don't know if it's sustainable, uh, but Penn State being where they are now, I know they obviously took a loss the last time they took the court in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, but you know they got a few nice wins at that Myrtle Beach or whatever tournament it was, Myrtle Beach or whatever. Um, so anyway, the only point I'm trying to make is they're they're ahead of schedule. They're going to get another seven, eight, nine teams. People are going to go crazy in the tournament if they don't succeed. But I think there, there's a lot of teams that are more impressive than I thought, and I think it's important to note. They're winning the games they need to in the out-of-conference to justify getting those seven, eight, nine bids in the tournament. We'll see what happens once they get there, but I think we got to give them credit for, again, winning these out-of-conference games that uh, give them some credibility all season long. That's a great point, too, because the Big Ten was really the first league to start playing 20 conference games to kind of bump up their their analytics and get more teams in the tournament, kind of like a hack to the system. But this year, they don't even need to do that because they're winning those games, as you said. Yeah, that's my uh, that's my uh, big take on the Big Ten in general is I think they, they have cooked the books a little bit on how to get higher net rankings. But listen, you know, you play the games, but you got to win some of them. And they're winning more than their fair share when you look at Ohio State going to Maui and winning two games. Iowa, what they've done early, uh, Maryland, what they've done early, on and on. So, you know, I don't mean to belabor the point. You know, now I'm going to be called a Big Ten homer instead of a Duke homer. So uh, so I don't mean to belabor the point. But like I said, I think they recruit to, to who they are. Uh, they develop really well, and it's showing on the court this year. Especially, by the way, really quick, it's showing in a post-transfer portal world where you're playing schools from the ACC or from the SEC or from the Pac-12 that are maybe making taking more transfers than you are. 
Absolutely. AT, thank you so much for joining us here today on the College Hoops Daily Podcast. He is the founder of Aaron Torres Media, the host of the Aaron Torres Podcast. Aaron Torres, man, thanks so much. Thank you, everybody. Subscribe. College Hoops uh, College Hoops uh, Daily with Zach Kroll. You do a great job, man. I listen to every episode. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you.